Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name's Mark Smith and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. This week's exchange is with OmUnit. Jim Coles often grounds his music in established genres, such as footwork, drum and bass or jungle, but he's often looking for a drum pattern or a mood or a texture that combines things to make something new. He's worked with boundary-pushing labels like Metalheads, Civil Music and Idle Hands, but these days he's pretty focused on his own label Cosmic Bridge, which he set up to bring together artists from different musical backgrounds. Coles tends to speak openly on most topics, and on the afternoon Ryan Keeling sat down with him in his house in Bristol. This included his views on Machissimo and drum and bass, and his struggles with depression. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The exchange with OmUnit is up next. Okay, so you moved to Bristol a couple of years ago after 20 years of living in London. Guilty. Guilty. Um, when we were setting up this interview, you said something along the lines of, I try not to go to London if I can help it. What made you say that? I mean, I lived there 15 years, but I'm a country mouse, really. I grew up in a little village in Berkshire. Just, I never really felt like I could put my feet down in London. I was always kind of surfing on the edge of like various waves of either just financial issues or just kind of feeling like I just never yeah, I never really felt at home if I'm honest with you as I moved into my 30s I think it was like it just started getting tiring it's quite an exhausting place to live and if you want to f- live as an artist and not work three jobs it can be difficult you know so I had some personal issues as well that I just wanted to get out and kind of have a little break as well so Bristol felt like the move and how's that worked out so, uh, for you so far? Really good. It's been an interesting place to come back to, especially from going abroad gigging. Kind of coming home to this very quiet environment that we're in now. We're in my house, for anyone that's listening. So you can hear a pin drop. It's just it's just very, it's quite zen, you know, it's quite relaxed and, yeah, livable in comparison, yeah. So creatively speaking, how do you respond as an artist to this sort of uh, enhanced state of quiet, let's say? Yeah, well... I think I've been doing a lot of experimenting since I've been here. You just got access and availability to so many different things here 
living here. It's just easy. You can walk down the road and hear someone playing a load of mid-80s EBM music or go and hear some reggae, some dub on a Sunday. You might see the Young Echo guys doing their kind of random selection of mad tunes or be in the Bell Pub and hear Andy Payback or John from Wanted, you know, playing stuff out of their collection that they've been building for 20, 30 years. You know, it's just... It's quite an inspiring place to be as a creative person. And that's just music, you know, there's other stuff here too, crafts, visual. So yeah. You know, from the outside looking in, everybody is sort of on a level, let's say. You know, it doesn't feel like there's a spirit of competition here. Yeah, it's no. More like, you know, that's very true. The, the community aspect it. is a real thing. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. I haven't come across uh, competitive people in terms of nothing that isn't friendly. I think you know what it is, is people can just, they can afford to not have to feel like they have to tread on people's shoulders. People always make this Bristol-London comparison and it's pointless because London is just, they're just chalk and cheese anyway. You know, like, I don't know. It's the whole, it's just everything you get to mention. Yeah, yeah. it's pointless making a comparison like that, but you can't come here and think you're Johnny Big Bollocks because you're just, you know, no one's interested, (laughs) to be honest. Yeah, sure. (laughs) You know? Have you noticed the difference in the stuff you've been writing? Well, see, so much has changed for me in the last two years. It's hard to sort of compare. I don't think if it's Bristol that's done it, you know. Sure, I've, I've I this, guess there are so many factors that go into these. There's a lot of factors. Yeah. I've been on a personal journey too that's been crazy. You know, I've started working out. You know, I've been seeing a therapist. I've been going into, I mean, you name it. It's just all these health changes and life changes that have, the music has been affected by too, you know. I've been really productive but not really finished much. But at the same time, I've just about finished my next album, you know, so it's been interesting. It's been it's been quite a journey the last couple of years. So before we go on, probably be helpful to ground the discussion by explaining that your career can be roughly speaking split into two. Mm-hmm. So you spent a significant period of time making and playing hip hop as too tall. Then around 2008, you started to uh, use the Om Unit alias, which right. um, you know, people listening to this will probably know you for. Tell us what led to this switch. It was quite a significant one from the outside and wondered mm-hmm. where you were at at that point in time well, I guess the two tall thing I got tired of people saying to me oh you're not that tall you know it's a bit weird I just got over the name it just felt like an old skin you know creatively and and you've been using the name since uh, well it's 2001 something like okay. that when I was doing like DJ battles and kind of yeah it's it's a funny thing like hip hop in the UK is always play second fiddle to where it comes from naturally it's an, it, to me it's, a, it's American music you can get into a state where there's a healthy sense of humour about how reappropriation twists things up and, and you, you've, got to ha- you've got to have a sense of humour about it and a lot of the sort of British hip hop world I found even myself included when I was young when I was like 19, 20 I was trying way too hard to sort of fit in and I think over time you either you either learn to sort of compromise and understand that the music you're making is is always going to be a reappropriation of someone else's culture. Or you just kind of walk away from it and say, well, like for me, what I took away from it anyway was the discipline of making music using certain techniques and uh, from the DJ side of it as well. Like being a hip hop DJ, being a scratch DJ has given me a lot of skills in that environment in terms of being in a club and DJing as well. Mm, Sure. You know, like a lot of people, if you scratch the surface, they've actually got roots in that world being a kind of DJ nerd. Yeah, 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 see, I see. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like even your Paul Oakenfolds and, and people like that, they were they were battle DJs back in the 80s, you know, they were, Pete Tong, I think, even was, you know, scratching it up 
so to speak. So it's just a funny. It wasn't that long thing. ago that you know that whole thing felt like it was more like ingrained in the DJ conversation. Let's say you know it, it was it, in terms of mixtapes and like making people making cut up tapes. Yeah, uh, you know on the on the like techno side of things. Oh it yeah, was, sure. You know, like you would hear DJ scratching. You know, right. it, was, it was like a showmanship aspect of it yeah, you know yeah, we're not yeah. talking like loads and loads of time ago okay you were competing and you know in order to compete and you know do dmc and those kinds of things mm. i'm imagining the hours that you must have spent on that was just kind of mind-blowing yeah just tell us a little bit about that and you know how did you get to that skill level okay i was about 19 i should explain just to get a background i've kind of recently acknowledged i've probably had quite severe depression for most of my life and when I was about 19 20 it was like it was kind of a way of focusing and doing something motivated you know the discipline of it was the catalyst once you get into that thing it's it just eats you up like like scratching for example you can you know six seven hours sometimes just cutting with tea breaks just eating something go back keep cutting scratching online you know even before Skype and all that there was in fact there was an online gaming thing that came free with some game that I bought for my PC. And that had like a, this kind of chat room side of it. It was a bit like Yahoo chat or something where you could like people in a chat room basically. Except it was with audio. And f- randomly there was a room there where people were like, they go online and then scratch. And you could like <laughs> listen to other people cut. You know, it was so geeky, but like that world sucked me in. So there was a whole bunch of people online on like forums. And we, you know, we get together and eventually it spawned actually a night and a label. This is back in 2001, two, three, four sort of era. Yeah. And so, yeah, I've forgotten yeah, the question I, now. I'll just, no, I'll just no, no. You were, I, was just, I just wanted to <laughs> explain the ins and outs of uh, how one gets to that level, let's say. To that say. level. It, it's maniacal. No, you just you, be, you've got, you have to be maniacal. Yeah, 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 I imagine. It's, it's, it's an obsession. But did you have competing in mind when you were doing this? Because obviously when somebody dedicates themselves to something to such an extent, mm. right, mm. you're picturing something. Yeah, you may, yeah. Maybe you were picturing impressing your peers or competing or doing something on a certain stage. Like, did you have like a goal in mind? Was there an ultimate thing you were mm-hmm. aspiring to? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know what it was? I used to buy the videos the old VHS tapes, and I and I wanted to do that. Like, I want to be that guy on the stage, which I now, I think after some years and just age and experience, I recognize is what all artists have, which is this need to be heard. You know, we want to be recognized. And, and that often comes off the back of being misunderstood as a kid, for example. So absolutely the time was like, I wanted to be, I, it, it's not like I even wanted to win. I just wanted to be on stage being like hey this is my moment sort of thing you know yeah 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 so i yeah. guess it gets into matters of like identity in a way yeah you know that yeah I can, true. I can, which is tricky yeah of you course. can start to you start chasing that all the time and you almost start creating a, a almost like a fake persona there's kind of this persona that you have to then channel through yeah you know in terms of competing art and competition it's, sure. it's all in water really and uh, again the reason i walked away from that is because it's it's reappropriated from a culture the origins of DJ competitions were literally for street reputation in the Bronx in, in the uh, late 70s and early 80s. Sure. DMC as a company turned that into something else, Yeah. for example, which, you know, for better or worse, you know, it's, it's got its own place in culture. But again, it's still it's still a sort of weird kind of reappropriation. And 
just became a bubble of its own you know so you almost arrived at a point where you felt like i can't make an authentic expression through this style of music and this well i got frustrated with it yeah, yeah exactly because it's one of the things where you either toe the line and i was always the guy who turned up and do something a bit weird <laughs> and not as weird as some people i could still make it work in a club environment but i think i realized after a couple of years i was like i, I kind of should be up here with like a drum machine or something or why do I even need to compete? Why don't I just make a live show? And so that's what I did after I kind of like got some pedals together, guitar pedals, loop station, that type of thing. It was like looping sounds off turntables. And that was a bit more comforting in a way, I guess, or comfortable, yeah, okay. I should say. Yeah. A couple of videos on YouTube of me doing that. And that was me at like 23, 24. Yeah. So thinking about this transitionary period, um, I was listening to the uh, Softer Diagram. It was the last album wow. you did as too tall yeah, yeah. that's and, true and there's, then there's another album that came out last year which was stuff was but that was from the, before of that yeah, era yeah, so yeah yeah, anyway, yeah. soft the diagram was the last one yeah, yeah yeah and sort of comparing that with the earliest dom unit stuff it felt at least to me like there was some crossover if, if not in the rhythms but certainly in terms of the moods you were exploring yeah. i wondered if you would <laughs> agree with that yeah it's funny if i listen to that stuff it sounds very naive to me that's in what's in what sense i just didn't know what i was doing and that's another reason why I switched from that whole thing. I just didn't know what I was doing. And I still don't know what I'm doing, but at least I kind of like to think I do rather than just kind of... I was doing lots of faffing around and lots of talking. So you wrote several albums, so... Uh, well, yeah, but it was... Uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a different thing. I wanted to learn how to really engineer and really... I always felt frustrated, like I can never really get this thing out of my head to sound how it sounds in my head. Like now I can pretty much do that. So it was, it was a discipline, really. It was about discipline. So I was releasing music, but at that point in life, I, I kind of had another tricky phase. And part of that reset was like, okay, I'm going to start this new project. I started to get frustrated with the environment that I became known for. Yeah. The kind of turntablism thing, the hip hop thing as well, trying to work with rappers. Rappers are like the most disorganized people on the planet in terms of like, it was just, it got really frustrating. And I was like, do you know what? It just feels fake. Like yeah. I, I, what else is in me that's just true, you know, that and took with me the technical stuff that I learned and said, okay, restart. Okay. You know, yeah. And what did that look like in the earliest releases? Like what were you trying to express? I'd been going to Plastic People a lot and been enjoying hearing disco and kind of weird Balearic stuff oh. and EBM stuff and listening to and also being inspired by the whole LA movement of people like Flying Lotus and Ras G and labels like Plug Research and obviously the Brain Feeder Camp and the, the Hud Mo thing all City Records over yeah. here so people like Onra Hud Mo Lucky Me that whole thing really it really messed my head up because it was like finally because even from back in like 2004-5 I was always frustrated with hip hop I was like you guys are still stuck in the 90s you're just trying to copy Premiere still it's like there's got to be more that we can do with this. And labels like Plug Research and certain offshoots of labels like Warp were kind of doing that kind of thing. But there was this big wave and I, I, I was inspired by it, but I didn't want to copy those guys. Mm. I wanted to kind of make this amalgamation of stuff that would work on a dance floor, but was still a bit wonky and weird. Yeah, sure. So the Tootle thing, yeah, that last album, Softer Diagram, starts to touch on that. And then the earliest on unit things like The Corridor, the thing I did in All City, the Light Grids Lavender release was, again, touching on that. Yeah, it was about exploring 
the connections between all these things. Yeah, I mean, I can see how from your perspective, if you've sort of seen so many of your peers, as you were mentioning, looking across the Atlantic and back in time, how you've got this new homegrown weird distinctive thing that's coming through i can mm-hmm. see why that was appealing yeah it, well it definitely spoke to me because i think i think a lot of people were the same as me we were just frustrated with with hip-hop in general people wanted to find out what was possible and i think it was in music in general it was a magic time people like marianne hobbs like her radio one show careers were getting broke every week it, yeah. was, it was a magic time you know dubstep was just really coming up and yeah electronic music started to really I would argue it's it's where electronic music really started to get recognised as like, okay, this is something actually to stay, you know? Yeah, 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 I see. Yeah, I think so. All right, let's um, play a track of yours. So it's from 2012 called The Slow Fast Matrix. Um, we'll yeah. explain afterwards why this one's significant to you. Slow Fast Matrix. So I'm writing saying this is connected or this release was connected to quite a memorable club experience you had. Yeah, definitely. We used to do a night called Tempo Clash and that was kind of a London residency. Myself, a guy called Kutmar, who was part of the origin of that LA movement and uh, Kid Knievel and a guy called Blue Daisy. Yeah, we had Debridge over to DJ and this was just post-autonomic that kind of like finished up. Yeah, he was just playing all this mad stuff that I hadn't really... I'd heard bits and pieces. I'd heard Amit tunes and I'd heard the autonomic thing, obviously. But this was something different. It was stuff for the club, but it was still had this kind of etheric 
stuff vibe behind it kind of thing and I'd already kind of messed with the footwork thing and stuff before and then connecting that with jungle and my roots in jungle but yeah Deebridge really you know he's a master really to me of electronic music I mean you know if you, you, you can only look at his 24 year career from all the way back to Arms House you know working with Lenny the Ice all the way through to through Bad Company and like Exit Records, Autonomic, you name it, Future Forces, like tunes like Dead by Dawn are just like stone cold classics. That's 20 years ago now. So yeah, anyway, so yeah, back then hearing music at like a, at like 170 and it was rooted in drum and bass, which is something I really connect with personally, but done differently was just like, yeah, that, that EP, the Aeolian EP is kind of like an expression of, of several different directions that I wanted to go simultaneously. Yeah, sure. <laughs> just need to get it out. Yeah, just get it, exactly, yeah. So what yeah. what is that point of difference that you just alluded to? <laughs> well, it's called the Slow Fast Matrix, you know, and this word crops up continually, you know, slow when, I'm reading, when I'm reading about your, your yeah. music. So could you explain, like, what that means, what that term means to you? It's a device. I mean, it's based on a Boomcat review of one of my records. Someone from Boomcat used the word slow fast, and I really like that. It's the idea in my head of, it's like slow on the bottom, fast on the top. Okay. <laughs> and that's kind of what jungle always was to me. Like, if you watch a crowd of people dance to jungle, I feel like the ones who really get it actually dance on the downbeat on the halftime. And a lot of people try really hard to kind of like jump around at 160, 170. And it, okay, you can do that for like 20 minutes, but if you want to dance for like four hours, it's more about the, the push and pull underneath to me. Sure. That's just a device. It's not really a genre or, or a kind of creative technique is well i suppose it is but it's just a kind of rhythmic device in a way yeah i see in terms of the actual composition of a track of this nature what is it about the programming that gives it this feeling is it just about sort of an an attitude where you're thinking both simultaneously at sort of 80 and 160 bpm yeah yeah yeah, exactly yeah, yeah okay and this is where footwork comes in when you've gone from duke into the tech stuff the chicago guys talk about it's like for them for example and it actually the same way if interestingly hardcore went into jungle you've gone from this 444 kind of thing and once you get to about 150 160 the human body it's hard to move to that so then you start to break it down again and i think that slow fast is those two things combined it's kind of you keep the fast stuff but in terms of the downbeat on on the kind of like on the bottom end of it the sub end of it the lower frequencies then you start to break it up and that's uh, that's what that is. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so we're talking about a release you wrote around 2011. It's still in talking to you now. Seems like an approach or a concept or something that's still really exciting to you. Yeah, definitely. Like, it's become a norm. Yeah, sure. Me, actually, I think at the time, at the time it was they called it halftime, which now means something different. But then it was like halftime was just that. It was you know there were people in Germany, people in the UK not so many people in the states but kind of yeah this kind of movement of people making what they called halftime drum bass people like instrumental debris that autonomic thing you had uh, dark estral records people like saber amit had been doing it since the early 2000s to be honest yeah just basically halftime drum bass like cutting the beat in half so it's almost like a hip-hop beat really Mm. in terms of the way it's structured is this something you think stems from that autonomic period or does it no it was from before that yeah 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 yeah. there were people actually um quite innovative stuff before the autonomic phase although you know that definitely was like solidified it as a thing 
people like Polar, Deep Blue, who did the helicopter tune. He actually in the late sorry late nineties, he did a few things that had like no snares <laughs> and just kind of different rhythmic techniques. Yeah, there's, there's odds and ends out there. Yeah, you know, yeah, if yeah, get, sure. If you really dig. There's even some jungle tunes that are halftime. Actually, Debridge made a halftime jungle track in '95, which is funny. So you did briefly touch on it there, but you began also exploring footwork, yeah. kind of you know rhythms, expressions, if you like, around this time. You had the Philip D. Kick series. Yeah. You had what on paper was a fairly simple idea. You were going to sort of remix classic jungle, big jungle tracks yeah in a really obvious ones obvious ones in a, in a <laughs> yeah. footwork vein did the idea come from just a very simple place like i just want to put these things together and see how it sounds well the story goes i was at plastic people saw mike paradinus do you know what i was on dubstep forum actually before that and people were talking about duke and i was like what's duke and iconica was on there and was like oh it's this da, 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 check it out talk to mike paradinus so went to plastic people heard about this thing going on what is this? Heard it being played. And immediately I was like, fuck, this is like, it's kind of like jungle to me. It sounds like hardcore. The 4-4 stuff was just like, this is it's like hardcore. I really got the halftime thing of it when you break it down. And it's, I don't know how what they describe in Chicago is like half, I suppose they call it tech. It's like tech style or whatever. So tech life and everything. But I like the way it was kind of halftime, but then you'd have these weird combinations of like triplet and then straight programming. Sure that would create this weird tension, which I know um, like Code 9, he described it really nicely as this rhythmic tension between layers. Yeah. That to me also is in a whole nother level, actually. That to me is actually what I would describe as a spiritual thing, actually, where you have these kind of like multi-layered step of things happening that kind of create, I think in a way could get quite transcendental. And I'd imagine that's something in terms of the dancing side of it. I imagine it can get quite trancey. For those dancers you know so along so, the lines of you you know as, as someone who's responding to the music you're yeah. being simultaneously pushed and pulled in yeah. different directions if and you're really, kind if of you're a middle really, zone between the two yeah if i can sort of yeah picture what you're uh, explaining there's something i think it does something to your consciousness I, I, I really believe that that tension does that does something to your consciousness you know on a more grounded level it reminded me of jungle it reminded me of hardcore and i was like well what if you just cross-pollinate those two things sure and I'm sure like Mike, Mike Perrini knew that because he's, he's an old jungle head as well. Just so happened that myself and actually Machine Drum at the same time had the same idea and we talked about it and ended up doing a thing with for Planet Mew as well. But yeah, I was like, well, what if I just take these riffs off these old jungle tunes and, and kind of do that in a Chicago style? And that's what the Philip D. Kick thing became. And it was um, it was the best kind of project because I had no, it wasn't contrived. I had no idea what, you know, I was just making it in my, in my flat. My flatmate was walking in going like, this is crazy. What are you doing? He knew, and that's Lauren Fantoni actually writes for fact. He knew he was like, I think he was like, yeah, this you're onto something, you know. I was quite amazed by the response. Yeah, for sure. People wanted to book me as Philip D. Kick. Oh, really? <laughs> so and, I, and, I, I, and immediately shut that down. I was like, no, 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 no. This isn't the main focus, you know. Yeah, I suppose um, it would be a bit reductive to be known just as the jungle footwork Tacky. guy. Yeah, yeah, well, that's and that's the thing I had to break that. Yeah, because it was a good year or so or two really where people, a lot of people just start started to jump on this non-existent bandwagon. <laughs> yeah, okay. Because it, it, you're right. It's it's it, again, it's cultural re reappropriation. Yeah, you know, and it's uh, it's actually the worst kind because it's two things. It's trying to make something exist between two pillars. You know. Yeah, sure. And didn't it just felt really un just not legit to me after a while? It was like, okay, this is cool, guys, but let's keep it moving. You know. 
But just thinking about that sort of project on the, the sort of creative end, end of things, do you find yourself when you're generating ideas kind of thinking along the lines of, well, what if I took this from over here and combine it with this from over there? Is that kind of your vibe, would you say? It's something I've realized that I, it's just who I am. I'm a connector, like, it might sound wanky, but uh, read the tipping point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, big up Malcolm Gladwell. I'm a connector and I, I like connecting people. If I know someone who's onto this thing and he needs this and I know someone else, it's like, I'll just put them in touch. Actually, I get a lot out of doing that. And I think musically too. I think it's weird. It's like, I'll hear something in one style of music and then try and find, like, for example, like a lot of record collectors like to find the weird stuff on the edges, you know, and I think I have that sort of mindset of like reggae or dub. Like, where's the weird dub stuff that's got like just 808s, you know? where's that or like where's the post-punk disco crossover where it was a bunch of kind of like white dudes from you know scotland or whatever <laughs> you know just trying to make funk but it sounds a bit weird you know that sort of thing and i think you get these interesting points that that happen where things cross pollinate and connect and i i don't know i find those sort of things more inspiring than the kind of like well-trodden paths of like academic approach Let's play Mystic. So you released this on Metalheads in 2014. We'll chat about it afterwards. So to me, this feels like it's kind of working along similar lines of technique as Sofast Matrix, but maybe the mood feels inspired by a particular period of time or a particular period of music, let's say. Tell us about what was going on when this was produced. So coming on from what we were just talking about after the the Footwork Jungle craze of 2012-13, I mean, I was DJing a hell of a lot. I put out threads as well. That was a that was a whole nother thing. So I'd done the threads album, which was a lot more personal and kind of like really where my head's at. Of like, you know, threads has got different styles on it. It's just more of a bigger picture type of thing. And then 2014, I was DJing like crazy. And actually, the Metalheads project came about where I'd just done an EP for them, and I had Goldie on the phone, just coming. Like, oh, I want to do this album, and so I was like, okay, push, push, push. And I was making a lot of this stuff on planes. So whilst traveling the States or traveling Australia or just <laughs> jumping on planes from Europe to here and there, you know, I think I made Mystic literally on a plane. And so a lot of the head stuff is kind of like, it's like an almost post club approach to drum and bass. 
which is again, you know, really what the autonomic thing was to me as well. However, the Metalheads project was very much a nod to like Metalheads and like me as a kid in the 90s, which we haven't discussed yet, but you know, all the way through the 90s, I was making Jungle. I started in 94. So 94, 95, 96, 97, it's all Metalheads to me, you know, mm. um, and Prototype and V Records and stuff. But yeah, so this is my like little nod, nod to that. And Mystic is, you know, it's an example of kind of the more minimal aspect of that, but that kind of sense of dread, which the darkness, which I think Metalheads really encapsulated and Prototype. Was it response to things that you were experiencing first hand at that time or was it more of kind of an imagined thing? No, it was quite aesthetic actually. Yeah. And I was spending a lot of time in clubs DJing. So in a way it was kind of almost a way of pushing against that by making real, trying to make something arty. (laughs) For want of a better word, it was like more of an artist, artist's impression of myself being on the fringe of the drum and bass scene and looking into it rather than than being in it. And in in a way, it was kind of an expression of like an homage to metalheads, but also, yeah, just kind of like saying, well, this is my angle as the outsider looking in. That's the way I saw it at the time. I don't know how well I actually conveyed that, to be honest, but... Was this the record that you were using Goldie, some samples? Yeah, Goldie Goldie gave me some samples, yeah. I only used a few bits and pieces, um, but he basically let me get to access to his dats. Um, so yeah. I just took a few dats and saw what was on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he gave me another folder of, of stuff as well. I sort of read um, an interview from a few years ago where you were talking about the was kind of you <laughs> making the statement that you felt like you couldn't compete with the the drum and bass masters, and nor would you want to. But you did feel yeah. like you had a point of difference, or you know, you had something to say. How would you? define that you know how were you sort of uh placing yourself in the drum and bass world would you it's, say it's hard it's been it's been a really tough journey you know cool problems but yeah. to be honest like i've always wanted to stay on the fringe and be a fan and that's unfortunately meant i've had to snub some people sorry in what, in what sense well not snub i mean not on purpose but the people have i think would say have felt a bit snubbed but when projects have been pitched to you or... No, like, de- I was talking about DJing. DJing actually, right, you know, oh, okay, like, yeah. Like basically DJing, I'll come back to your original point, but just to put it in context, you know, I'll get people hitting me up to play pretty underground low-key nights just because I'm popping up in the DMB world as, as a sort of fresh name. Yeah. And then I'm turning them down and saying, well, I'm, I'm kind of just a fan, you know, I'd rather just do what I do as I'm unit outside of it really. And then people I imagine will probably think, oh, who does he think he is, you know? Yeah, sure. <laughs> but it's true, I just I just want to be a fan yeah. of the music. I, I never wanted to get this, actually this involved as I have been, yeah. Is it a case of positioning yourself in a way that you feel comfortable? I mean, would it be to you? Um, well, I know, I'm speaking as if I have no control over this situation. Yeah, right? no, no, I'm just, I'm just sort of interested, <laughs> like, you know, obviously artists need to think, you know, quite carefully about, you know, where they're placing themselves and, you know, positioning. There is something the, to be said, yeah, for, for yeah. managing perception. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm, yeah. I'm getting at. I have, and, yeah, I think we've done it quite well, but, you know, it's, it's, it's quite a stereotypical thing. I've always been quite reticent to be labelled because I don't like the idea of staying put you know, I'm a bit of a nomad musically. I'm just too curious, really, about what's next, what's happening, you know? Yeah. Like, what's going on? Yes, yeah, I suppose it's interesting because even if you're not positioning yourself or aligning yourself with something, you still need to position yourself in a place that allows you to do the things that you just described. Sure. Yeah, it's funny. It's a paradox. Yeah. But the, the way I see it is that there's a landscape and the landscape shifts. And sometimes I think it's healthy just to kind of like keep walking and look, looking around as things shift and move. 
with a natural curiosity nothing you don't want to be too contrived with it and sort of jump on bandwagons or be a culture vulture but I think that it's healthy to kind of yeah you can collaborate with people and like and just be curious about sure. what's happening you can be you can be inspired by stuff without necessarily leeching off it jumping on something yeah, yeah. You know, just and I think that drum and bass you know drum and bass has had what 25 years of history really so it's part of the furniture it's not going anywhere and I think it's okay to reference it and not be too caught up in it all you know especially and especially given that it's 25 years of history within the scene you know there's politics there's anything that comes with just you know bunches of men and money <laughs> you know so it's, it's kind of nice to also not be too stuck into all that as well you know like, all right let's um play something you made recently uh sure. so this is light body transfer which you put out on your own label cosmic bridge at yeah. the end of 2016 that's yeah, right we'll, we'll talk after this mm-hmm. <laughs> So I find this much harder to pin down, let's say. Can't really place the rhythm within a particular style. Yeah. What, what were you going for here? So I kind of have these weird labels in my own head for certain things. This tune is what I would call soul speak. Soul speak. Soul speak. Right. Which might sound a bit weird, but really it's it's where you sit down and just kind of like transcendental for me. This is a trancey one. That's why I call it light body transfer. Like the idea in my head it sort of made itself and then I sat and listened to it and I was like, oh yeah, it's that. So in in the process of just sort of like channeling and sitting there and making this kind of like weird rhythm and making it work, that all just fell out of me naturally. Yeah. So in a way, that's kind of the purest type of music that I could make, I would say. So it's almost chaotic. What tempo is that? It is actually 85, I think. 85? I think, yeah, it's about 85. It's kind of on the quarter time. So the snare is like at the start of a second bar. So it's kind of like- Yeah, okay. It's super like- Scagged out, <laughs> you know, super like stretched out, weird. But I, I don't know. It just that's just how it came out. But and I call it soul speak because it's it feels something very just just natural about it. It's sort of just almost like your body speaking into sound. Have you written others that you put in this category? Yeah, there's been a few. That mystic one's kind of a bit on that tip. Yeah, um, I see. More the ambient stuff, like on the on the Metalers album, there's a tune called Layers that's kind of like that. That's um, in my head creates pictures. 
because I have I get synesthesia so I have like a spatial synesthesia where I see geometrics so certain things like that to me where they're like footwork where you have these multi-layered they kind of create in my mind these sort of I get these interspatial relationships they're not colors as such or tastes they're it's sort of like shapes shapes and edges yeah so tunes like that like light body transfer in my mind anyway I get that sort of feeling but also I just it's a bit sci-fi as well like I like this idea of I mean when you're considering this track can you picture a shape right now um does it bring something to mind immediately yeah it's 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 like a series of woolly edged triangles that kind of interlock and then there's kind of a like speckly things above it and yeah. stuff like that. I, get, I do get colours as well. There's this, yeah. This so is, would you be writing with that in mind? That no, you just you do the thing. It's actually an accident that happens. Yeah, I see. Yeah, I don't sit there and say I'm going to make circles or it's like <laughs> I'll do a thing and and then it's often when you listen to it back or whilst you're doing it. Yeah, you, so you just I don't know. It's weird. You sort of trance out. Yeah. Yeah. Did this one come together in a way that's sort of typical of your creative process? No, are, are there any patterns? No, this was definitely like, this just fell out. Okay. Yeah, this absolutely just went. So this, is, this is the golden, like, this yeah, is, yeah, this is made, what you were shooting. It's the tune that made itself. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does that happen very often? Well, well no. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. I think a lot of people would say the same thing. You know, it's one of those rare ones. Sometimes, like, the, the bangers make themselves and they do that. I've actually got a thing I'm working on that just, it's really fresh and weird and I'm um, really happy with it. But it's kind of almost almost something you could play in a club as well. So I quite like that when it happens. What do you find most challenging about writing music? Self doubt. Yeah, questioning stuff into oblivion. It's the hardest part, I think. Has um, that got easier? Not really. I think it's just always there, isn't it? it does they have a self regulatory system built into us, I think, that just sort of questions unless you're a total psycho. There's a fearfulness to anything. And I think that in creativity the fearfulness expresses itself as self doubt. It's also the thing that enables you to want to be heard in the inverse of that. It's like when you go into the world and, and perform, it's the antithesis to the self-doubt is is the rush of being heard. Yeah. Um, which is actually a dangerous cycle to get into, um, yeah. too deep into. I think really the sweet spot is beyond that duality of self-doubt and being understood. It's sort of just like just doing it. Yeah, 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 I see. <laughs> um, and in that state, it takes a certain degree of release and just letting go of like agendas and kind of this need or want. Yeah. Yeah, that's when tunes like 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 Body Transfer will fall out. Does it help at all to have kind of a group of people around you, like you've got with the label? You know, if you're are you the sort of person who will, you know, work on a sketch or something, maybe, you know, <laughs> send it off to someone you trust or you know do you have those types of relationships or are you just like seeing something through to the end honestly yes and no okay it's a weird one because i found in the past like i'll play tunes to people and they're just like yeah it's cool and that's like, not super helpful yeah <laughs> like, like even close friends will sort of understand like it's weird i mean the thing you can't ever plan for is how someone is going to hear what you've made you know i can remember being about 23 24 and super broken hearted over somebody and I wrote this this song that was really for her and I was like I played it to her and sat with her and she listened to it and she was like yeah it's really chill and that's all she had to say about it you know and, then, and that that was an early lesson like, of like no. yeah it was totally crushed <laughs> yeah. you know but it's like that's that's an, like an early lesson of that thing where you, like some people just hear the snare they literally are not listening any further than than how the shape of the drums are yeah 
which is why you know like coming back to what i said before about the discipline of engineering in order to present your thing in the clearest way possible you can almost listen just to the technical layer of it to make sure that the snares and the hi-hats are all hitting right to give it the right emotional impact you know some people literally only hear the, t the top crust some people don't hear that at all all they hear is just the feeling of it all they get off, you know, they're not even hearing the, even the vocal. They're just hearing the kind of intention. Sort of the overall the shape of it. Pattern, you know? yeah. So you just can't plan for these things. Tell us about Cosmic Bridge. Okay, yeah. Cosmic Bridge is my label, which we started back in 2011. Uh, late 2011, 2012, I think. Initially, that was myself and Chrome Star. And basically, yeah, we kind of put out like 160, 170 BPM music on, on mass. But then there's other bits and pieces. So it's again, it's this sort of thing of like reflecting upon jungle footwork, drum and bass, but kind of doing it in our own way, I guess. Yeah. yeah. There's people like TMSV, Jay Kenzo, who are kind of borrowed from, from the dubstep world who have got interest in making other types of music. So I give them an outlet if they're interested. More Sounds, who I kind of discovered through a friend, my, my friend Jay Scarlett, who's the out in um in germany he he put me on to a couple of people danny skriller and more sounds who i've signed and done bits with in the past yeah it's now currently run by uh my good friend and manager mark shelley uh sequence who runs it out in uh, east london and we, yeah we just we put tunes out i basically a and r the label now it's good yeah i don't really handle the nuts and bolts yeah sure yeah if you're thinking about the sort of qualities that the artists on the label share would you say it's just kind of a simple case of curiosity you know within yeah. a, within a sort of blue defined yeah, tempo range or something yeah yeah we're all sort of exploring there is a definitely an aesthetic but we're all exploring within for sure yeah yeah so bearing everything we've talked about in mind i'm curious to know how this comes together in your djing because if i had to guess and um you know we should say that you travel a great deal you yeah. know you're you're very very busy and you're, you're gigging hard and stuff playing in multiple countries but if i had to guess i'd say you get a range of responses to what you do would that be accurate yeah, <laughs> yeah. definitely again this is a whole other string to the bow isn't it you know to be vulnerable on stage it's easier now to be honest is now it's what uh 2017 Back in 2012, 2011, playing halftime footwork, jungle sets, mixing all that together, it was a little much for some people, you know? It was a little bit like, okay, what is this? I don't get it. You know, I'd, I'd have people coming up to me doing the typical thing. Can you play something I can dance to? Or like, and then you get curious people, what is this? Who are you? Where are you from? What's going on? Then you'd get aging junglists like myself <laughs> kind of at the back of the room, like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Um, for a minute there, it was kind of hip too. So you get you get some yeah. like you know, very well dressed types coming down and being like, oh yeah, yeah, I know this stuff. You know, they've been through all that. <laughs> That's been and gone. But you're saying it's got easier. Over it's, the well, last... it's got easier, yeah, because I think people now have started to really understand this thing as being something else that okay. isn't necessarily you know, it's 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 absolutely a part of the drum and bass world for sure. I think it's thanks to just sheer volume of music. People get making this stuff over the last five, six years. You know, there are now hundreds of people doing this and kind of like around the world and, and doing their own little parties with it. I aren't scared to have, you know, a dubstep DJ, then a jungle DJ, and then myself mm. on the same lineup. And so that pushed you a bit further, do you think, in what you'll try, let's say? Yeah, well, you know what it was? It's funny. I, I, I've kind of come full circle. When I first started, 
I was taking a lot more risks and then I kind of honed it in the more it was like, you know, there's the kind of like obligation to smash it every time. So then I definitely honed down the track list into like, you know, not just all the bangers, but kind of like stuff which I knew would flow easily, yeah. easier. I don't know. I, I feel like I'm a part of a group of people who've established something. Therefore, I can afford to kind of come on and go, do you know what, guys? We're going to play a bit of something else for a little bit, you know, and take risks. And I'm enjoying it more because it's actually feeding me more now after the kind of like wave of like really obvious bangers. <laughs> so it's a nice time, you know, where, where now I can kind of command a bit more and like make a, make more of a deeper journey, you know? Sure. Play two hours, play start out at one thirty, one forty, and and work up you know do you think there are any particular strongholds for what you're doing either in terms of venues or countries yeah. or cities i get a lot of love in germany been to berlin quite a lot and also other cities in germany definitely germany netherlands although the netherlands is not so much in the last year or two bc canada definitely has been a high highlight you know vancouver there's a crew out there called the lighter crew who are very much like diggers you know they know their music and they do good parties but yeah the whole bc area i really connect with just on a personal level as well i think it's just a nice part of the world uh the festivals out there the kind of there's a lot of kind of new agey types who sort of connect i think with some of the more esoteric stuff that i'm into anyway is it base coast the festival? yeah base coast yeah. man base coast is like the best festival in the world I, I i would say without a doubt absolutely unequivocally yeah there's um Melbourne's always a vibe and uh, in terms of Europe like I mean certain clubs like I mean it's, it's weird sometimes I'm thrown back I'll turn up to a club and it's like fuck, there's like five six hundred people here and yeah, they know yeah. the tunes and uh, as far as I'm concerned I'm this like dude there's a bunch of little guys on the edge of this little micro scene almost you know so yeah it's, yeah yeah it's, I mean uh, you're describing awesome. a fairly healthy network well yeah yeah yeah, yeah totally across yeah. continents yeah I, it's not that yeah I don't take it for, for, for granted I'm just um I don't really sort of like wake up in the morning and think about all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, essentially. So it's always a blessing, really. I'd sort of turn up and go, oh, okay, cool, it works, you know. So how do you find touring generally? It's been difficult, actually. And in terms of mental health, it's something which I'm, I'm very glad to see there's more dialogue happening about the idea of touring artists and what it can actually do to you. I've certainly experienced very strange states of being from sleep deprivation, for example, you know, and uh, the sort of DJs complaining aspect of like, you know, you're not supposed to complain about doing this because you're living the dream and da 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 da. But it, people don't actually understand that this isn't as glamorous as perhaps it, you know, makes out. You, you want to get into this because it seems like, you know, it's, it's part of the fame game and everything else. And sure. It, you, want, you want that glamorous lifestyle. And you can have that. But it comes at a cost and as a part of that is can be your mental health i think benga's a great case study of that where he he uh definitely got himself into a bit of a pickle you know shall we say and like i think that it's something that needs to be discussed more i think that as someone who has to look i have to look after my mental health i think that it's uh yeah i do think that it's something that needs to be part of the conversation seeming as like m making music digitally and and just being a musician and a dj is is sort of being pushed as almost like a lifestyle choice now you know you get your, you get your door and you learn ableton and then you go out and start doing shows and there's kind of this cookie cutter yeah. approach to it part of that needs to be you know you need to look after your health and yeah i'd like to see more of that talked about so for me it's been really challenging actually 
my initial way to deal with it was just general dissociation so just kind of like knuckling down and like cutting myself off emotionally and just kind of being like a robot and now I just can't do that anymore it's exhausting and I'm trying not to I like I need to stay with my feelings therefore I'm sort of learning how to do it all all again in a way you know and uh, but it's way more re- rewarding feeling emotionally connected to it however can be very taxing you know mm-hmm. it sounds like you're describing a situation where as you said at the outset of the interview you you know you've had problems with depression in the past you know it's been it's been a factor in your life and then you're faced with the situation where you have all these different you know obstacles and triggers and all these kinds of things where Mm -hmm. maybe your lifestyle is running in a direction that's like kind of counted maybe not to what you need but i can see why it would end up taking you to some pretty dark places let's say yeah sure i mean anxiety is part of it you know the nightclub itself is potentially can be quite a really toxic environment right and our culture at the moment especially the kind of the infantilism that comes with music and culture the worship of youth and and coupled with the patriarchy aspect of it of like young men you know there's a big laddishness to this whole thing so people approach the idea like this is why you have young men dying in clubs because they approach taking ecstasy pills like downing pints you know so that's a prevalent sort of attitude in, in the nightclub environment. Now, for me personally, I've definitely experienced extreme anxiety from sleep deprivation and having to go into that environment where it's chaos, you know, and I've got to be on stage and I've got to be on. And then I've also got to be like, hey, you know, to the promoter. Like, um, there are different ways of dealing with it. But you know what? It's actually been very rewarding and very valuable at the same time i'm totally not complaining actually it's been i have way more insights into the human mind (laughs) as a result of being so stretched in different directions so i'm actually no no i'm I'm very grateful actually for the (laughs) for this journey i've been on you know but yeah as i say coming back to my original point i do think that it should be part of the conversation a little more you know it's it's not glamorous guys ask any dj's girlfriend out there if they've traveled with their dj boyfriend (laughs) tagged along shall we say ask them if it's glamorous and if it's uh yeah i suppose we're only ever considering the the, uh, (laughs) you know the hour or two when this person is on stage playing and you don't see the other 10 hours surrounding that or 48 hours yeah 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 Yeah. yeah. missed flights or you know late late flights blah 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 i'm not gonna moan but yeah yeah there's a lot more around it that um can be potentially quite destructive and yeah you know but uh, i wouldn't i wouldn't really swap it for anything else because my last job apart from teaching i used to teach was uh i worked in a factory banging plastic feet into metal chairs so you know life could be worse at the same time you know okay i wanted to finish up by talking about club music landscape generally in Mm -hmm. 2017 i've read some comments from you a few years back where you'd um almost warmly describe things as being in uh, a state of chaos let's say and you know I, i think that's very much the case today do you feel as though we've reached a point where there's pretty much no going back to the old established order of big mass music, electronic music movements, jungle, grime, garage, dubstep, etc.? Yes. And the reason is, I mean, the internet really, I would say, is a large cause of that. I have this philosophy about it all where it's no longer about chronology, where you've got this kind of like, although trends still exist, it's not sort of one after the other. 
I think we've gone from things being much more located in linear time to being now where things are just in parallel. So everything's happening at the same time. There's way more bandwidth, literally, because of the internet. So, you know, these things can exist. They could just coexist. It's fine. And it's okay. And like, if you're a young person, it's also okay to be like, I like this, but I also like this, you know? And I think it's accelerating consciousness. I actually believe that. I think it's part of the acceleration of consciousness in terms of social consciousness as, you notice how young people seem to be way less judgmental and way less hung up about being this way or that way. You know, there seems to be a much more acceptance. What we used to call radicalism to me is kind of becoming more of a norm, you know. I've seen music videos that are in the top 10 that contain literally like you know, bisexual, you know, kind of gestures, which I'm like, that's great. This is like, we're kicking down barriers now. And that's between genres, it's between, you know. So it is creating a kind of soup, like a meta soup. For some people, it can be hard to kind of like understand or kind of grasp as to where are the handles in that. But I don't think it's about that anymore. I don't think it's actually, I think it's interesting just letting things kind of like just spill over into each other and see what happens. I think, you know, I love the idea of connection. I don't feel the need for, to control the chaos, you know. I think it should all just be happening and it's accelerating, I think. And it's thanks to the technology, you know. It's thanks to basically a bunch of hippies in California who did a bunch of acid and started making computers, you know. (laughs) So there you go, that's what you get. (laughs) 